I think if you do those three things, you do alignment, you share the spotlight, and you celebrate as a team, I'm sure that your organization will produce a blockbuster hit marketing campaign. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Impulse, the Influencer Marketing Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Pratik Panda, VP of Marketing at Philo, the universal API for creator data. Joining us today is Francisco Bram, who's the VP of Marketing and Customer Growth at Albertsons Companies. He's got over 15 years of experience in growing brands, products, and customers, and is definitely a seasoned entrepreneur with a wealth of knowledge. He's been recognized twice among the top 100 product marketing leaders, and we are going to be sitting down today to talk more about the impact of marketing, and more importantly, how to run marketing like a business. And it's going to be a very interesting discussion, but before we get started with our conversation, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss out on the latest episodes. So, Francisco, thanks a lot for joining us. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So we will definitely get deeper into, you know, the impact of marketing and, you know, that's one of the key challenges all marketing leaders face. But before we get there, right, for all of our fans and listeners who want to keep learning more about influencer marketing, do you have one controversial hot take on influencer marketing that you can share? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's controversial, but to me, it revolves around the term influencer. Mm -hmm. You know, the concept of influencer is actually not a new concept. It's talked a lot about it today, but it's been around for centuries, right? If you think about in the old days in Greece or Rome, there would be these town squares and people would go there and start talking to the folks on those town squares. It would either be product demonstrations or public opinion speeches or artistic creations. You can imagine philosophers like Socrates or artists like Michelangelo or Da Vinci. I'll always trying to reach the masses through town squares. So they were thought leaders, right? They were creators. They were people who were trying to influence others. But I think when we talk about influencers today, that turn sort of became a little bit negative, right? Actually, something that people would either make fun of or not respect. And it's not really fair because you're bundling a bunch of different influencers into the same term, right? You have thought leaders. Like those are people who are experts in their industry that really understand their industry and they want to reach the masses and educate people. I've learned so much from influencers on personal finance, for example. They are then the content creators. Those are people who actually spend a ton of hours a day thinking of creative ways to engage you and entertain you and make your time fun and exciting and and meaningful. And then you have what we also call brand ambassadors. Those are people who, you know, have a large following and they help brands reach that following, right? So I think, why is this controversial to me when I talk about influencers? Because in marketing, especially corporate marketing, you have to be aware of how the executive team perceives influencer marketing. Because your job in marketing is, how do I going to bring more customers to your stores or to our online conversions? How do I get our brand more out there? And if you come into an executive meeting and you're saying, I'm going to do an influencer campaign, you can look in the faces of people and they're going to start twist and roll their eyes. And so ideally, you have to reframe the conversation. Instead of labeling influencer marketing campaign, think about it as the different tactics you want to deploy. Thought leaders who can shape the industry's future. Brand ambassadors who generally believe in our products. Creators who can craft engaging and innovative content, 
right? So by doing that, you infuse positivity, inspiration into the strategies. And I think to me, that's the most important thing. You have to shift the narrative away from how people perceive influencers to the actual work that influencers can bring and drive for your brand. That makes absolute sense. And on that topic, right, like uh, the, the whole thing around bringing a narrative in the best possible way to your executives, right? You talk a lot about the impact of marketing or even how do you communicate the best marketing strategies so that your team and especially the executive team understands what you're trying to do, right? What is your perspective around what's the best way to demonstrate this to your exec team? Yeah, so I think you have to treat marketing in today's world more than ever as a P&L, profit and loss statement right? Or business. In the old days, if you think about marketing 20 years ago, and somebody says, I do marketing, you would sort of understand what they do. And it was always associated with brand, right? Like, oh, you do brand marketing, you're trying to get people emotionally connected to the company. But in today's world, because of the evolution of technology, internet, and the phone and everything, today, if you say, I'm in marketing, that's really broad. I don't necessarily know what you do, because you have performance marketing. You have content marketing, you have product marketing, you have CRM, you have B2B. I mean, there's so many different specialized fields in marketing, right? So your job is to look at the marketing org and how they, each function plays in to drive the best outcome to the business. So the way that I go about getting our customers or the executive team excited about my plans is always tying back to the overall business objectives. So. I'll give you an example how we do it here. Every year, and we're now in the planning phases for next year, we develop what's called an annual operating plan. We call it AOP. That is done on the business side. So, hey, by next year, we have to drive X amount of revenue, X amount of new customers, retain customers, improve lifetime value, et cetera, et cetera. So now that I have that, I'm going to develop a marketing strategy with multiple campaigns and multiple programs and several tactics that support those business objectives. So every time I present something, I present it in three categories. Marketing impact to the business, marketing performance, and marketing engagement. And they're all very different, right? So let's start with the simplest one, marketing engagement. That means of all the things you put out there, how are people engaging with your content? How many impressions do you have? How many clicks? How many shares? How many downloads? Site visits? That's all called marketing engagement. And that's important because you want to show that your tactics are effective. Then I want to show marketing performance. That's when you look at more businessy metrics, such as what is my ROHAS, which is the return on ad spend, right? What is my marginal ROHAS? What is my customer cost of acquisition? What is my marketing ROI? And so you have to be very comfortable with these metrics because that's how you establish credibility. And then you have marketing impact to the business. That's when you talk about attribution, marketing attribution. So you look at the total sales of that period and you say, at this, marketing drove 20% of sales. For example, my team last year drove $520 million in incremental revenue. That means that revenue wasn't going to be there if marketing didn't drive it. And I could tie that back to all the tactics we did through marketing mix models. So when you do that, people start to look at you as a profit center, right? Here's a function that actually contributes to the overall growth of the company. It's not just about brand building. That's really important. You have to do that because that's important for retention and customer lifetime value. But you also need to have really effective ways of reaching customers and influencer marketing is one of those ways. And that's how you then have to look at what influencers can do and how the return on that investment looks like. Like they have 5 million customers. 
we could take this money and put it into, let's say, advertising on Facebook, but we probably wouldn't get the level of engagement we get with influencer marketing because the followers from influencers are very engaged with these influencers. And we know that 60% of all purchases were referrals or because family told us about it or someone we trust mentioned it. And influencers have that trust, right? And so for me, that's about me telling that story internally. Uh, and that's why we pick very carefully who we partner with. It's not enough that you have followers. We have to look at the type of followers you have and how engaged they are, right? So for us, it's really important that your brand as an influencer and your followers really align with our brand principles and our tone of voice. Got it. And how do you go about finding these influencers and really assessing whether their tone and content really matches your brand's persona? Yeah, it all starts with your strategy. Like, what is our strategy? I'm going to give you an example. Let's say we we want to grow our pet business. We sell pet products. So we want to reach pet owners, pet parents, right? So our strategy is to reach the Gen Z and millennials who own a pet because during COVID, the amount of millennials and Gen Z who actually bought a pet more than tripled during that time. So we know there's a new population of pet parents, brand new, and they probably are going to be looking for places to buy their toys, their treats, their supplies. So that's the strategy. How do we go about penetrating the millennial and Gen Z segments for pet ownership? Okay, now let's build a marketing brief. We write the marketing brief and it's about key insights that we understand about those parents, what they care about. For example, the millennial and Gen Z parents, they treat their pets as family. In fact, they are willing to spend more money on the health and care of their pets than on themselves and even taking credit card debt to care for their pets. This is all insights we've gathered, right? Very different than the generation of X and baby boomers who look at pets as companions, but they don't look at them as more important than themselves. It's just a different perspective. So that's our marketing brief. We take that marketing brief and we send it to our partners, which could be a creative agency and could also be a demand gen acquisition agency. And so then the acquisition agency will come back and say, here are a set of influences we identified that actually fit with your target audience that actually seems to have a following that is also within that same segment. And look at the posts they have where they, you know, they treat their pets as if it's their baby and it should be because they are their fur babies, right? But we look at their content. They bring in examples of their content. We look at the demographics of their audience. We look at the channels that they use. And we then pick the, the ones we want to partner with. We then connect to those influencers and we tell them about our strategy, our marketing brief. And we work on creating content that aligns with our tone of voice, but also feels authentic. And that's really important, right? You can't come across as advertising for a brand because followers can spot that really quickly. So we want to pick influencers already, for example, make content for pets. And we just want to offer an incentive for their followers to look at us as a consideration. So we at times we offer discounts. We say, if you decide to go to any of our stores to buy products for your pets, we give you $75 in free groceries, for example. We have to do something for their followers as well. And so why would an influencer want to do this? Because the influencer cares about the followers and here's a way for the influencers to give something back to the followers. So that we have to think about that partnership. It should be a win-win. Yeah, how important is the whole authenticity thing, right? Like we talk about authenticity a lot in the influencer marketing space, particularly because, you know, end of the day, like you said, the influencer or content creator needs to care about their audience, right? And how do you go about assessing that criteria? Yeah, no, that's really important. And if you think about the influencer life cycle, 
it's really easy to be on the top and then it's really hard to stay on top. Like many influencers get a massive following and then suddenly they drop off because either they came across as inauthentic or they did something that culturally wasn't acceptable or they simply didn't find a way to keep their audience engaged and then people eventually unsubscribe. So a way to maintain that audience is to remember why you got that audience in the first place. And that's because you show an authentic side of yourself that people relate to, right? Hey, I see this person treating the dog like if it's like a, a real important family member, walking the dog to the beach and playing with the dog and creating really funny content with the dog. I relate to that because I have a dog and I love that, you know, it feels like this person is just showcasing a part of their life and it, it's not trying to sell me products. So it's really important when we partner with someone that they maintain that authenticity. We would never go to them like we go to an advertising agency to promote the product on TV, right? Because it's, it's a different medium, right? If I'm going to use an influencer, I want the influencer to continue to create the content that has been successful to date and just find a way to include our products while at the same time making the customers, rewarding their followers so they don't feel like, oh, now that you're popular, you're just trying to sell me products. No, we don't want to break that relationship with the influencer and the partners. We want to make sure that, hey, it comes across as I care about you. And so I found a partner like Albertson's company, Safeway or Vons or Jewel Osco, any of our supermarket chains, who is willing to give you $50 in free pet products if you just decide to visit their store and try it out. And so I thought this was a great deal I wanted to share it with you all. It needs to feel that way. Like, otherwise... You know, I, nobody wants to scroll on Instagram or TikTok to look at advertising. Everybody hates that, right? So if, if you start to come across as advertising, then you lose authenticity and then you lose your followers. And it's not good for the influencer. It's not good for us either, right? So we want the influencer to be very successful. And you talked about a little bit on this whole offer part, right? Like what do you give that is important as well as impactful for the followers of the content creator, right? And for your brands particularly, might be, you know, giving this $50 voucher that everybody can use and so on. First, how do you go justify campaign spend for something like this? Is it possible to even estimate the cost of this campaign, right? What if, you know, it would be a good problem to have, but what if a lot more people do end up at your stores and shop and that really is bumping up your costs as well, just because there is this offer? How do you sort of navigate this discussion with your executive team that, you know, here's how I'm going to go ahead and budget for this exercise? It all comes down to demonstrate, demonstrate, demonstrate. Meaning, first thing you want to demonstrate is that giving a coupon or an offer really drives higher sales. So you want to prove that first. So one way to do it is you're going to give out a coupon to regular customers and you're going to look at their shopping history before they got the coupon and the shopping history after they got the coupon. And if their basket size goes up, think about this. If you have a $50 coupon, you're probably going to feel more inclined to buy more. Yeah. Right? Because you, you know you're going to get $50 off. And once you buy more, you try more products. And next time you come, Without the coupon, your basket size goes up compared to the basket size before you got the coupon. So that's a way to show incrementality. That means your lifetime value is going up. And so we found a lot of ways where every time, for example, use our pharmacies, you also have pharmacies. Every time you use our pharmacies, after five scripts you fill, you get 20% off groceries. Fill five more scripts, another 20%. Because we found that retention goes up and spending goes up. First, you prove that. You go to the executive team and say, offers work. And here's examples looking at the data that shows that work. The second part is, will offers to influencers work? 
So that's a different thing you have to test. So you have to do some A-B testing. You're going to take the same exact campaign and you're going to take one influencer and another comparable influencer with the same amount of audience reach and the same level of, of content. And one is going to offer $50 coupons for pets and the other one is not. And then you're going to measure how many more people sign up and convert it and use it, that offer versus those that didn't. And it's another way to show and come back to your executive team and say, look, we were able to get 30, 40% more people shopping at our store than with the other influencer because they had an offer. So once you start to do that, maybe the first two or three times, then you don't have to do it anymore. It's now really ingrained in our executive teams. Offers work and influencers can drive conversion. But you still have to go through that process if you're a younger company that has never done influencer marketing. So you have to think about how do I demonstrate demonstrate impact of marketing. Got it. So small experiments that can prove impact and then you keep scaling up from there. That's right. All right. So marketing is also a very collaborative function, right? That is not possible to create maximum impact if you're not really closely working with sales, product, customer success, operations, and so on, right? What are some tips and advice from you on how to make this collaboration more healthy and impactful? Yeah, I could spend a whole day just talking about all the different things that would work, but I'll make it really simple, which is think of your marketing team as the director of a, of a film, right? Your executive team is the producers. They're giving you the money. You're the directors of that film. The other departments, you can think of them as actors in the cast of that blockbuster movie, right? So the first thing you want to do with the cast as a director is script alignment. Right? You don't want to just create a script and then tell them you got to follow it. You'll learn from the best actors that they need to adapt the script to their personality, to their acting skills. And at times they improvise and do things that was not even in the script and they come out and they were perfect in the movie. Any great director would say, those are the best actors. So you have to assume that your sales team, right, for example, or customer service, that they will have their own way of reaching customers. And you can't just force your script onto them. So you got to do script alignment. So you go in with your marketing program and strategy and you share with them and you co-create with them. Make them feel like they're co-owners of that marketing plan because then they will be advocates for you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you share the spotlight, right? If you create a movie and you only give credits to the director and you don't give credits at the end to all the actors, I don't think actors will be happy with it. You should give credit to everyone that performed. And that means internally you find ways to bring in those stakeholders and share the spotlight of, hey, we, this program is working really well and we couldn't have done it without the support of XYZ. Would love to invite them to actually share some of the anecdotes of how successful it was. And then you bring them in and they, the salespeople shares about, hey, yes, I had this great encounter with this customer and they really loved the way we positioned the product. So that's another way to do it. You share the spotlight. And finally, you celebrate, right? It's almost like going to a premiere. When you launch it, you celebrate it. For example, we just reached a milestone recently where we launched a product six months ago, a digital app, and we just reached 1 million customers last week. And what do we do? We're celebrating it. We created a polo that says 1 million members and we give it to everybody in sales, everybody in operations, even our administrators. If they just had a little bit of a contribution, they were still part of it. You celebrate, make them feel like we're all winning. I think if you do those three things, you do alignment, you share the spotlight, and you celebrate as a team, I'm sure that your organization will produce a blockbuster hit marketing campaign. That's amazing. I think that's very good tips and advice there. Another thing primarily around planning and nurturing these partnerships right now, 
there is this growing trend around influencer marketing and some channels are relatively easier to attribute and measure impact on whereas others aren't but you know as part of the marketing mix you will continue to do a variety of these different things and you'll build on those partnerships right what have been your challenges around the attribution part has it been very straightforward for you is there still some sort of challenge there and especially if you bring in influencer marketing into the mix how does that change your attribution model yeah attribution is probably the biggest challenge that any new marketing leader will encounter because it goes back to our beginning of the conversation like how do you establish yourself as a, a credible leader a profit center for the organization it's all about demonstrating results and you can't demonstrate results if you don't have attribution so i spent probably 9 to 12 months when i first got my current role just trying to establish a way to attribute marketing impact and i still have a lot of things to do it's a lot easier when it's grocery but when we talk about pharmacy you know pharmacy has specific regulations like hipaa marketing rules and you can't really follow a customer journey because it's it's healthcare related it's an independent journey so how do you know that your marketing is working so you have to find ways to demonstrate the impact of marketing with while being compliant and so the biggest challenge with comes to influencer marketing is they have a lot of followers right but how do we know that those followers are actually then becoming your customers you can see them engaging with the content and again that's just marketing engagement just having high marketing engagement doesn't mean you're having a strong impact to the business that's why i always separate the two and so we've learned over time that we have to find creative ways to measure attribution for example let's say an influencer has a podcast you have to find a creative way to make sure that there's a promo code that can be attributed only to that influencer. So let's say it's uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Right? He's a thought leader, he's a writer, he has a podcast, he's an influencer. So you can say use Gladwell at Albertson's promo code to get your $50 off. Then we know that a percentage of $50 coupons are coming from that particular promo code are being redeemed. So then we can directly attribute it to that podcast. The same thing goes for any influencers on Instagram and any other channels. A promo code is the best way, but you can also create a QR code. QR code that it's unique to that influencer. You can have another QR code that is unique to another influencer. So we do that a lot too. We even do that in signage. So when you go into any of our supermarket stores, you have a lot of signs in the store, and every sign has a unique QR code because you want to make sure that we know exactly what sign is driving the most impact. Because at times you don't have to invest in all signs especially if you know that 20% of the signs are driving 80% of the revenue and they let's just focus on those 20% of the signs so it took time to get here but i think we're in a really good place and finally invest in marketing mix model which uses regression analysis to look back at your performance data from a company and your marketing performance data instead of very reliably actually matches the two we partnered with a company called Ipsos to help do this analysis on a periodic basis to help us determine the multi-touch attribution and the last touch attribution for us which is really important but it takes a lot of time and effort you got to get the support from the executive team but i think once the executive team understands that you can become a profit center and a revenue driver if you have attribution they'll be able to invest in you that's awesome yeah thanks for sharing that advice and you know talking about that right there's channels where attribution is easier channels where you have to be more creative but talking about channels right not just channels actually there is a lot of consumer behavior shifts that keep happening right you mentioned one as an example that during the pandemic a lot more people adopted pets or you know became pet parents now that's a 
observation to make and quickly adapt your marketing strategies accordingly, right? Now, the best marketers tend to do a better job at identifying these shifts in a timely manner. As somebody who's done this before, what are your tips and advice for some people? Could be broad marketing also. It could be specific to influencer marketing as well. And how do you spot these trends or consumer behavior shifts early enough that you can actually capitalize on it or you know make the best out of it before you know it becomes too mainstream? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think I'll be honest with you. At times, it's all about luck, luck of timing. It really is. It's about, hey, we, we need to grow our pets business. And coincidentally, it was also happening during the time when more and more people are adopting pets. But if this decision to grow our pet business came today, right, we're kind of already a little late because, you know, other people are already capitalizing on it. So I think at times it's just a matter of luck and timing. I'll be honest. There's no magic secret sauce here. But I would say one way to stay close to it is to have a frequent pulse check with your audience. That means you maintain a panel of customers that you frequently go back to and engage with either consumer focus groups or through surveys. And you try to sort of get a grasp on their brand sentiment. What are they thinking? What, as you enter the next year, what are the top things that are top of mind for you? What keeps you up at night, right? At times when we think of customer research, we tend to think of, I want to know if the customer will like this product. I want to know if the customer will like this feature. I want to test this and that. And that's all great and important. But if you really want to get in tune with upcoming trends, you want to ask broad questions that are more culture and more personal. Like what keep you up tonight? And then people are saying, well, the fact that inflation is high and I want to eat healthy. I know I need to eat healthy, but these prices, eating healthy is very expensive, right? So, okay, that's a really interesting nugget that actually informed a lot of the decisions we made, for example, to watch Sicily Health, which is an app that allows you to eat healthy without breaking your wallet. And again, it came from just having a conversation with customers as you would with friends. But if you maintain a large panel of them, like we have about 10,000 customers that we frequently talk to, you start to identify those trends Sometimes you're lucky and it's early enough. Sometimes it's not early enough, but you can still do something about it. Being a pioneer doesn't mean you're innovative, right? Pioneer, it means you're the first to do it. Innovative means you may not be the first, but you've really changed consumer behavior. And so at times you don't have to be the first. Learn from the first ones. Google was like probably the fifth or sixth engine and they learned a lot from what the other ones didn't do right. Um, same thing with Facebook was not the first one. Apple was not the first MP3. So it, you don't have to be the first. But sometimes you can get lucky and you're one of the first ones and, and you can capitalize on that momentum. All right. Sounds good, Francisco. And I have a fun question for you talking about all the influencers and influencer marketing. If you had the chance to take an influencer out to lunch, who would that person be and why? So I grew up in a small town in Portugal and now I travel the world and I'm now in, in the US and I would probably pick Cristiano Ronaldo. Wow. I think it's probably number one, number two biggest influencer right now in the world. We share nationality. We share an upbringing. He also came from a small town in Portugal. You know, we both sort of left the country and left family and friends behind. So I would love to hear about his story, his remarkable skills, because he's not only a sports icon, but he's also a philanthropist, right? He's an ambassador for various causes. You know, he never got a tattoo so that he can donate blood twice a year. And whether people like him or not, he really has a positive impact on the world, either by inspiring through his work ethic, which I think is incredible. Everyone says the first one to come in in the morning, the last one to leave the practice, or by just the positive change he's making through donations and through philanthropy. So yeah, I, I think I would love to sit down, share a meal with him, speak in Portuguese. And um, yeah, and I think it would be a lot of fun and learning for me. 
I'm sure that sounds fun and it would be very, very exciting. As we get closer to the end of the show, what is some advice you would give to somebody who is starting out with influencer marketing, you know, just starting to test out this channel, they have to do a lot of work to make a case for this new channel, get budget for it and so on. Uh, what is some advice you would give for all the early career uh, or not really early career, but, you know, uh, people who are just starting out with influencer marketing campaigns? First, embrace failure. You're going to fail, then that's okay. Because I read somewhere the other day that if you're always afraid of failing, right, you never get to the success because people who are successful, they failed a lot throughout the way. And so for me, like, be okay to test, experiment and fail. But so start small. When you start small, it's also easy to measure. It's also easier to go back to your executive team and demonstrate the impact of that. So start small, start with some experiments. Again, think of ways that both the influencer and the brand and the audience that follows the influencer can win. If you think from that perspective, not just about you, if you think about win, 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 you will likely find success because everyone will appreciate it. You know, look, Mr. Beast does that really well, right? Like he always thinks, yes, I'm making a ton of money, but I'm also donating a lot of that money to help other people. And then the people who are following, they love that and they want to continue subscribing because the more subscribes, the more he donates. So it's like win, win, win. Everybody wins. So... If you want to be successful, always have that mentality, that mindset. What's in it for me? What's in it for the influencer? What's in it for the audience? And then run an experiment, find a way to attribute the results of that experiment through promo codes or QR codes, et cetera, and then scale it nationwide and then show the results to your executive team. It's a great way to reach people that you normally would reach in a personal, more authentic way. But again, pick the influencers correctly. And again, you can only do that by trying, failing, trying again. I think that's a great message. Embracing failure is actually very, very important, not just as a marketer in general as well, but especially so important for marketers. And one thing that at least, you know, I've started to do more recently is within our team, we make a conscious choice that every quarter we are going to run at least one or two new experiments. The experiment could be, you know, existing channel new process or it could be testing out a new channel with something that we have existing right so uh, but the idea behind that is of course you are showcasing this as an experiment to your exec team but a new thing that i've started to add also is what could potentially go wrong because the thing that we typically end up presenting is the best case scenario you know and rarely does that happen you know as you understand the channel better you've been doing it a long time yes you'll get better at those estimates but in most cases what we are presenting as marketing leaders is typically the best case scenario do you think that it's a good idea to also have that sort of reality check that you know this is the plan but here are possible scenarios why it could go wrong i think that's an incredible way to do it so this actually started with medical surgeons it's called a pre-modern Surgeons used to do a postmortem, meaning the patient died. What happened? Why did he die? What are all the things that went wrong that what could have gone right to make the patient survive? And then they started to realize, like, why do we do this after? Let's do a pre-mortem. Let's think of all the reasons of things that could go right and wrong and have a plan for each one of them. And so I actually wholeheartedly believe in a pre-mortem for marketing as well. It could be done in a simple way. I've done this before, which is you can create two headlines of a newspaper article. The content of the article is empty, but the headline, one headline will be, let's say Albertson's company launches a new product that drives 50% increase in sales and customer satisfaction. The other article would be, Albertson's company launches a product that customers really hate and is driving negative 
you know, friction to the store, as an example. Now you have those two headlines and then you have people across different departments, across different teams, from sales to product to marketing, write down all the things that come to mind for one, you divide the group in two, one group will think about the positive ones and then the other group will think about the negative ones. And they will write things that you didn't even think of, like things such as macroeconomic things to microeconomic things. And what you do with that information is you draft a plan, like you said, here's a plan, here's everything that we need to make sure we focus on to drive success, but here's the things we need to pay attention to to ensure we don't fail. And here's a backup plan in case things that are outside of our control, like macroeconomic things happen, but we're ready for it. It takes time. But that discovery of pre-mortem is so important. I don't think I've met many leaders who actually do this, but I've learned this in Stanford Graduate Business School, and I never forgot it. And, and so once in a while, I love doing that. That's awesome, Francisco. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. I think this was an amazing conversation. Lots to learn from this conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with us. It was great having you on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get P-H-Y-L-L-O.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listing platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.